0: All right. Well, happy Palm Sunday to everyone. Since we're preaching on prayer today, it seems appropriate that we would open with prayer and ask that God would bless our time. Father, we, um, as always, we recognize that we need your spirit to come and work today. As much as we would like to think that we can just force ourselves to create a movement of your spirit, we know that we desperately are in need of your grace. And so, Father, we're asking that you would be gracious to us today, that your spirit would come, that it would bring conviction at the preaching of your word. Father, we're praying that at the end of the day today that we would have a greater desire to pray and to seek you, that we would be fully confident that we can approach the throne of grace and that we would do so because of the work of your son, Jesus. And so, Father, we pray that as we're gathered here today that you would do an amazing work and that when we leave here, we would have a greater desire to bring praise and honor to you. Our goal, as it is every Sunday, is to make much of you. And so, Father, we pray that's exactly what would happen, that we would make much of you and that we would make much of your word because we know that your word points to you. And so, Father, we, again, just ask for your blessing. We ask for your spirit to come and to work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for my money, few have ever used their words as effectively as the great 19th century Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon had a way with words that even centuries later still resonates. If you want to be edified and challenged and convicted in your Christian walk, I would encourage you even this week to just look up quotes from Charles Spurgeon. Even though he was back 150 plus years ago, everything he says still resonates. The man was gifted with his words primarily because he pointed to Christ. He was always pointing to Christ in everything he did, but he had a way of saying it that was just memorable. He was a quote machine. Spurgeon could talk about nearly any topic, but I would say that his quotes on prayer are some of his best. In fact, as we think about prayer, I thought it might be helpful for us to start with just thinking of some quotes that Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, I know of no better thermometer to your spiritual temperature than this, the measure of the intensity of your prayer. Another occasion, he said, a prayerless church member is a hindrance. He's in the body like a rotting bone or a decayed tooth. Before long, since he does not contribute to the benefit of his brethren, he will become a danger and sorrow to them. Neglect of private prayer is the locus which devours the strength of the church. He says, if any of you should ask me for an epitome of the Christian religion, I should say it in one word, prayer. Live and die without prayer, and you will pray long enough when you get to hell. He said, it's a good rule to never look into the face of man in the morning until you've looked into the face of God first. He said, oh, without prayer, what are the church's agencies but the stretching out of a dead man's arms or the lifting up of the lid of a blind man's eye? Only when the Holy Spirit comes is there any life and force and power. He said, prayer and praise are the oars by which a man may row his boat into the deep waters of the knowledge of Christ. This is maybe the most convicting. He said, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer. And from it we may judge it of the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. He said, we cannot all argue, but we can all pray. We cannot all be leaders, but we can all be pleaders. We cannot be almighty in rhetoric, but we can all be prevalent in prayer. Listen, there is no doubt that Spurgeon had a way with words. Only Spurgeon could talk about rotting bones and devouring locusts and rowing boats in the context of prayer and make it sound perfectly normal. But aside from the fact that he was just plain quotable, Spurgeon was on to something as it relates to prayer. Charles Spurgeon rightly understood that prayer is vital to the Christian church, and it is vital to the individual Christian. If we are going to grow, if we are going to see any movement of the Spirit in Westchester County, it will be because we pray. Because ultimately, any work of God must originate from God. And that's why we must pray. Now The reality is that when I say prayer is vital to the life of the church or prayer is vital to the life of a Christian," that's not a shocking statement to anyone. Every church that I've ever been at, or every church that I've ever been a part of, has always talked about prayer. I know of no church that doesn't mention prayer at least in some ways. Now some churches are more committed to prayer than others, but every church talks about prayer. In fact, we talk about prayer, just uh, at the beginning of February when we were doing our series on the Parables of Jesus. We were preaching through the parable of the persistent widow. And in that context, we talked about prayer. And so as I was contemplating this current series that we're on in the church, I was, I was asking myself, well, is it really worthwhile for us to talk about prayer again? After all, we just talked about it six weeks ago. It, maybe we're just kind of overkilling it if we just talk about prayer again. But the more I thought about it, I realized you cannot talk about the church without talking about prayer. And the fact of the matter is that you can't overemphasize the importance of prayer. And I would say that this is an area that we have room to grow. And so especially in light of the fact that there is room for us to grow as a church in this area, I think it is more than worthwhile for us to talk about prayer again today. In fact, I think it would be foolish for us not to continually emphasize the importance of prayer. So the goal today is not to tell you how you should pray, or the goal today is not to tell you just that you should pray. Rather, I thought it might be helpful for us to take a step back and ask the question, why should we pray? Why should we think that God will answer our prayers? And that's where this passage in Hebrews 4 comes into play. So let me read here, Hebrews 4, again, starting in verse 14, the passage we read just a minute ago. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14, says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now, over the years, I've heard multiple people say something to this effect. They'll say, well... If God really is up there, and if he's running the universe, why would he care about my prayer request about my job interview? Or why would he care about my prayer request about this issue with my kid? Or why would he care about whatever it is? With the thinking being that if God is running the universe, surely he is too busy to just listen to our prayer requests. Now, of course, most of the time when I've heard that has been from those who don't believe in Christ, but I would have to imagine that at some level that thinking creeps into the life of those who say they're Christians. That they wonder, does God really care about our prayers? Does God really want to listen to our prayers? Can we really be confident that He is actually hearing? Maybe you've asked yourself those questions before. You said, Why should I pray? Why should I be confident that God will answer my prayers or that God will hear my prayers? Well, if you look at Hebrews 4, I think there's really one answer to all of those why questions. Why should you pray? Why should you be confident? that he hears your prayers? I think we can answer in one word, Jesus. Jesus is the reason we can be confident. And there are a couple of reasons why we say that's the case. Why is it that Jesus gives us confidence? Why is it that Jesus is the reason we pray? Well, there's two things we see in this passage and then one implication from it. So here's one reason we can be confident and one reason why we say Jesus is the answer because Jesus is the great high priest. Look at verse 14 again. Verse 14 of Hebrews 4 again says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Now this is actually a very similar passage to Hebrews 10 from last week. And last week we said that to understand the book of Hebrews, you have to have a pretty good understanding of the Old Testament system of sacrifices. In the Old Testament, the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies only once a year. But now what we're being told here in Hebrews 4 is that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who's passed through the heavens. In other words, he's seated now at the right hand of God and he is always interceding for us. This is the whole point of this language about Jesus passing through the heavens, is that because he's seated at the right hand of God, he is constantly interceding for us. And therefore, we no longer have a need for a priest because Jesus is is the great high priest. And he is sitting at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. In fact, this is the exact thing that Hebrews chapter 7 says. You can flip there just a few uh, chapters there to your right. Hebrews 7, verses 23 to 28. There's a few implications of what we're saying here in Hebrews 4. Verse 23 says this. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it indeed was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sin, And then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. We no longer have need for a priest because Jesus is the great high priest. As verse 25 says, he always lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to make intercession for us. Listen, I'm sure you've seen movies before. Maybe you've actually done this before, but I'm sure you've uh, at least seen in the movies where someone goes to a Catholic priest, right? They have the little booth set up there and they confess their, their sin to the priest and then the priest absolves them of their sin. Um, just a couple weeks ago, I was, I was hanging around with this non-believer and apparently he'd done something the night before that he wasn't the most proud of and he said, you know, do I need to confess something to you today? I said, no, actually we don't do that at our church. In fact, maybe you've noticed that. We don't have a booth set up for confession. Now why is that? Well, the reason we don't have that here is because we believe that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who's interceding for us. We don't have need of a priest, a person, a man, who intercedes for us because Jesus is already interceding for us. This is the reason why we don't have a booth set up. This is the reason why my friend who's saying, do I need to confess to you? I said, no, we don't do that at our church because we have a great high priest. Why would we have a need for a human priest to intercede for us when we can have Jesus interceding for us. This is why we draw near to God through Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you've noticed before that Christians often pray, and at the end of their prayers they say, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Why do we do that? Well, the reason why we say that is not just because we should say it, it's because Jesus is our mediator. He is the one who is interceding for us. He's the one who's seated at the right hand of God. And as Hebrews 7 says, he lives to make intercession for us. And so the reason why we pray in Jesus' name is because we are recognizing when we said that the only way we can have any confidence in coming to God is because of Jesus' blood. It's because Jesus died on the cross, and because he's now seated at the right hand of God, we can have confidence to come to him. I think that oftentimes we take prayer for granted. I think it's something that we assume that we should be able to do, but we shouldn't. Put it this way. Do you think there's any chance that if I called up to the White House today, I don't know if there's actually a number you can call, but just go with me here. If I called up to the White House, do you think there's any chance that I could get an appointment to meet with the president today? Do you think could I call him up and say, hey, I would love to have an audience with President Obama today. Can you arrange that for me? Do you think there's any chance that would happen? Of course, the answer is absolutely not. But you know what's crazy? Is that none of us have an audience like that with the president. At least that I know of. Maybe, maybe some of you are good friends with him. I'm not sure. But that I know of. No one in this room has that type of audience with the president. But what's crazy is that we can have that type of audience with the God of the universe. That we can approach him freely. That we can communicate with him at will. Because of Jesus. Have you ever thought how crazy and ridiculous that is? If I was trying to set up an appointment with my state representative today, I doubt I would be able to do it. And yet, we can commune with the God who created all things. This is not something we should take for granted. In the Old Testament, when people encounter God, they don't start thinking to themselves, Oh, this is how I thought that song. I can only imagine. I knew it would be just like this. No, that's not what they do at all. When they encounter God in the Old Testament, they are certain that they are going to die. And they are fearful. Why? Because God is holy. And there is no reason that any human should be able to expect him with any confidence whatsoever. Because he is mighty. He is not to be trifled with. And yet, Hebrews 4 says that we can approach him with confidence. Why? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is interceding for us. He is our great high priest. Friends, let me encourage you, never take this privilege lightly. Uh, there will be times where um, we'll be sitting down for a meal and I'll pray something. Maybe we'll be in a hurry and I, I've just made lunch. And uh, I'll pray something quickly for the kids and I'll realize afterwards, I don't even know what I just said. Right? I just went through some routine that I always go through. You know, God, thank you for this food. Amen. And I haven't really thought at all about the fact that I'm communica- communicating with the God of the universe. And when that happens, I'm betraying the fact that I take for granted that I can communicate with God. I'm taking for granted the fact that I can communicate with the king of the universe. I guess the equivalent would be me somehow gaining an audience with President Obama and then just mumbling incoherently or saying something that's completely nonsensical. I mean, are we really thinking about what we're praying sometimes? Listen, it is a great privilege that we can pray. It is a great privilege that we can draw near and expect That he will hear us. And the reason why we can expect that he will hear us, it's not because of our own merit. It's not because we're great people. It's not because we are really great with our prayers or that we're somehow eloquent in our words. It's not because we deserve it, that's for sure. No, the only reason we can draw near with confidence, the only reason we can draw near with confidence is because Jesus is interceding for us. So the question why should we pray? Why should we be confident? our first answer to it would simply be this, that we have a great high priest. Now, there's a second reason why we would say Jesus is the answer and why we can be confident, and that is this, that not only is he the great high priest, but he is a sympathetic high priest. All right, look at verse 15, Hebrews chapter four. Again, verse 15 says this, for we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet was without sin. Listen, it can be really difficult if you're going through a hard time and people are saying to you that they're sympathetic but in reality you know that they don't really understand what you're going through. In fact, one of the most difficult things of suffering is oftentimes that we feel like we're alone. We feel like no one can possibly understand that what we're going through. My brother, over the course of the last several years, has had some serious, serious health issues. He's had about seven surgeries on his head. He's in constant pain. And one of the things I've observed from just watching my brother, and one of the things I've just experienced in my own life, is that I know it's really hard for people to relate to what he's going through. In fact, even for me, there's many times where I just have a hard time understanding everything that he is dealing with. I think all of us can relate to that at some level. Because all of us have been in situations where we feel like no one knows what we're going through. No one gets what we're going through right now. I think we can all understand what that feels like. At least in moments, we feel like there's no one who understands. And that is precisely why Hebrews 4 is so encouraging. Because Hebrews 4 reminds us that not only is Jesus a great high priest, but he is sympathetic. He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet is without sin. Now, let me just say this. It's a bit of a mystery how Jesus, being fully God and fully man, was tempted in every way that we are. I'll fully admit that I'm not quite sure how all that works, but what I know is it's true. I know it's true because Hebrews 4 tells us that he was tempted just as we are, and that he was without sin. And it says that he is sympathetic. Listen, this is exceedingly good news. Listen, it's one thing to have access It's another thing to have a sympathetic ear. Uh, Even just going back to the analogy I gave earlier, uh, let's just say that somehow I was able to gain an audience with President Obama today. That I was able to call up to the White House to use my fictional example, and I got an audience. Just because I have an audience doesn't mean that he'll be sympathetic. Right? Let's decide that I'm going to bring up some issues related to government and maybe I'll just stick with the smaller ones all right? to not be too controversial. Okay? And so I decide, you know what, I'm going to bring up the potholes in New York. I'm tired of the potholes. Do you think that he's going to be sympathetic to that? Probably not. What if I decided, you know, I'm really tired of the snow plows in Mount Kisco pushing all the snow onto my sidewalk. It's making my job infinitely harder. Do you think that he will be sympathetic in that moment? I doubt it, right? He's got bigger fish to fry. He's got more important things to deal with. And on top of that, it's probably been a really long time since he's shoveled a sidewalk. And so I don't think he's going to be sympathetic. It's one thing to have an audience. It's another thing to have a sympathetic audience. But the amazing thing is this, that when we approach God in prayer, it's not just that we have access to him. That's amazing in and of itself, right? Again, in the Old Testament, when people approach God, they think, I'm going to die, we can approach him with confidence, but it's not just that we can approach him. It's that he is sympathetic. It's that he longs to hear from us. Listen, whatever it is that you're going through today, and I have no doubt, given the size of this room and how many people are in here, that some are going through some really, really deep waters today. I have no doubt that there are some who are going through struggles that are almost unspeakable. Whatever it is that you're going through, know this. You are not alone. There is one who can sympathize with everything you're going through. You may feel like there is no person in this room who gets what I'm going through, and that may be true. That may be true. But there's one who understands. And there's one who's sympathetic. It's the great high priest, Jesus. So one of the great privileges of being a Christian is that we can draw near to God through prayer, and we can know that not only does he hear us, but he's sympathetic, and he cares, and he wants to help us. Listen, if you're here today and you're a non-Christian, I would think that this would be appealing to you. I would think the idea that you can have access to God, the idea that you can have forgiveness of your sins, I would think that this would be something that would be appealing to you. The Bible says that our sin, our rebellion against God, has separated us from God. And the, uh, because of that, we are rightly in his crosshairs of justice. But through Christ, living a perfect life and dying on the cross, we can have our sins forgiven. And as Hebrews 4 makes clear, we can have access to approach him boldly. If you're a non-Christian, I would hope that today you would hear that and think, I want that. And if you're a Christian, I would think that the implication of all of this would be that you would run to him in prayer regularly. In fact, that's exactly the point that verse, verse 16 is saying if it's true that Jesus is the great high priest and it's true that he's sympathetic, then the logical implication of that is that we should run to him and we should pray. In fact, verse 16 says exactly that. Verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Oh, this gift of prayer is incredible. Ponder the realities of what's being said here in Hebrews 4. That we have a high priest who intercedes for us. He is sympathetic to our needs. And he encourages us to approach him boldly, with confidence. Expecting that he will help us in our time of need. We can be confident that we can approach him. Now, I love this term that's used here, the throne of grace. It could have said the throne of power, and that would have been true. It could have said the throne of the king, that would have been true too. But it says the throne of grace. This is what we are to approach. The throne of grace because we expect that from there we will receive grace and mercy. How precious is that? Listen, Hebrews 4.16. Surely this is one of the most encouraging verses there is. In fact, this week as I've been thinking about this, I've just been overwhelmed by the graciousness of God that we can approach him like this and expect to find help in our time of need. Now, think, I think we need to be careful here to say this, that our definition of mercy and grace may be different than his. Right? For you, maybe receiving mercy and grace means that there will be no more troubles. That's, that's not the way that he always works things. His definition of mercy and grace may be different than yours. But you can still count on this. This is true. That if you approach him, there will be mercy and grace in your time of need. And it's because Jesus is the great high priest. Listen, maybe you've noticed this before. In fact, I'm guessing you have. Life can be hard sometimes. I'm assuming you've noticed that. Sickness seems to always be lurking. And relationships always seem to be a little bit messy. And work always seems to be more difficult than it should. And death is always waiting for us. But in those times, as you experience difficulty, there's a place you can run. There's a place you can run. It's the throne of grace. Listen, maybe over the years you've found that living out the Christian life is hard. Right? Maybe you've realized that there will always be sin that you deal with, and that Satan is always trying to thwart you, and that the world will always be weighing against you. But this verse would encourage you, if you find the Christian life difficult, run to the throne of grace where there's mercy and help in time of trouble. Maybe you've found in recent weeks, as we've been talking about the mission of the church that we should proclaim the gospel, preserve the gospel, display the gospel. Maybe you've discovered, if you've tried it all to live those things out, and I hope you have, maybe you've discovered that that's difficult. That proclaiming the gospel is sometimes awkward. And preserving the gospel sometimes means being countercultural. And displaying the gospel is sometimes easier said than done. But if you found those things to be difficult, know this, there's a place you can run. It's the throne of grace, where there's mercy and grace to be found in our times of troubles. Listen, there are a few verses that seem more precious than Hebrews 4.16. I would hope that as you're hearing this today, you are overwhelmed by his love. Right? I hope that you're overwhelmed by his love, that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. But here's my question. Do you really believe this is true? Do you really believe that Jesus is interceding for us? Do you really believe that he's a sympathetic high priest? Do you really believe that you can run to him during times of difficulty and receive mercy? Or do you believe that help ultimately comes from somewhere else? Deep down, do you believe that the way out of your situation is just to try harder? Or the way out of your situation is just to think more carefully and to use your wisdom? Or the way out of your situation is that maybe you need to go get counseling or maybe maybe the church needs to help you and please understand I'm not in any way diminishing any of those things. Absolutely, do everything you can. Use your effort and absolutely use your wisdom. And and there may be times where counseling is, is absolutely necessary. And of course, we would say the church is a valuable resource. In fact, last week, that was the whole point of our message, that we are members together, building one another up. So I'm not in any way diminishing those things, but here is what I'm saying. Help ultimately comes from above. Ultimately, it comes from Him. He is the source of grace that we need. He is the place that we are to run. that's where the rubber begins to hit the road for us. Because many of us may say we believe that God is the source of our strength. And we may say that we believe that we are to run to him. But my question is, are we actually doing that? Because in practice, I think oftentimes we live like we believe help comes from somewhere else. Theoretically, I would guess almost every person in this room is a fan of prayer. Theoretically. But in reality, many of us are trying to get across the lake without any oars. To use Spurgeon's analogy from earlier. We're we're in a boat, but we're not using the oars. We're trying to do everything on our own power, when the reality is that we desperately need the Spirit's power. That's why we pray. And that's true probably, I would guess, both individually and collectively. Again, to paraphrase one of Spurgeon's quotes, it's as if we're trying to wave around the arms of a corpse When in reality, we need someone to breathe life into the corpse. We need the Spirit to work. We need to pray. Have you ever wondered, why don't I have more of a passion for Christ? Have you ever wondered, why don't we see more people coming to know Christ as their Savior here at New Hope? Have you ever wondered, why don't we see more works of God? Why don't we see more of Him working in unusual ways? Well, there's a lot of answers to that question, and it's probably more complex. But maybe one simple explanation is that we just don't pray enough. Perhaps it's because we don't run to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. But I hope we will. I hope we will, not because we have to, not because this is what churches should talk about, that we should talk about prayer, but because we have a great high priest who's interceding for us. And we know that there is no greater privilege than being able to approach him in prayer. And that reality, I would hope, would be manifested both together and privately. In fact, if you look at Scripture, it's obvious that we are to pray together. That, that's clear. It's also clear that we are to pray on our own. In fact, I just want to show you a couple places in Scripture to show both of those. So first turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. It's clear that the early New Testament church prayed Together. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Verse 12 says this Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is a pretty simple passage. They get together for the sake of prayer. They get together, they come together, they're in a common place, and they pray. Now we're told that they are in one accord. In other words, they have one passion. So understand this, this prayer is not a group of quasi-spiritual people getting together and just praying to some nebulous God. No, this is a group of people who are driven by common love for Christ. And they're praying because of that. In fact, verse 14, again look at verse 14, says this, says that they're devoted. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. This wasn't just some passing thing. No, they were devoted to prayer. These brothers and sisters in Christ were gathering together together. They were driven by a common love for Christ, but they were devoted to prayer. And as you read through the rest of the book of Acts, it's obvious this is not an isolated event. This is a pattern. And so my question is, will this be a pattern here at New Hope? Will it be a pattern where we gather together for the express purpose of prayer? Are we united by a common love of Christ that causes us to seek the throne of grace together? Are we devoted to prayer together? Listen, I don't know how you would answer that question for you, but I know for me the answer is clearly not enough. There may be some meetings where uh, I'm part of another meeting and we attach prayer to that. But there are very few times where I gather together expressly for the purpose of prayer. But the reality is this. If we are needy people, and the scriptures are clear, we are needy people. We are in desperate need of the spirit's strength. On our own, we are weak. And we are unable to live in the way that we ought to. We need the Spirit's power. And if we are to live this life together, in fact, last week, that's what we talked about, right? That we are a part of the body of Christ and that we are all in this together. If both of those things are true, then it only makes sense that we would seek the throne of grace together and that we would pray together and ask for God's help. So uh, let me say this. What would it look like if the next time you had a family over for dinner before you left, you decided, let's, let's pray together. Let's just pray for one another. And I know that for those of you who have kids, you're like, well, that will be crazy. That's okay. Maybe you just pray for a few minutes. Or maybe, maybe uh, next month you invite a, a couple over or a couple of couples over. And if you have kids, you, you put on a movie for a little bit. And then you just pray together. Or what if once a month you gather a group of people and you pray for the lost in this area? If we want to see a movement of people who don't know Christ coming to know Christ, maybe we should start praying for that. What if once a month you just got a group of people together and you said, let's pray for this, that lost people would come to know Jesus Christ? Or what if there was a group of women who got together and decided, you know what, we're going to pray, and we're going to pray for our husbands and our kids. Or a group of husbands who got together and said, you know what, we're going to pray for our wives and our kids. Or what if there was a group of single people who once a month got together on a Friday night and decided, let's sing some worship songs and then let's pray for the nations. Let's pray that the unreached peoples would be reached. Or what if there's a group of people who gathered together regularly and decided, you know, we are going to pray for New Hope Fellowship. And we are going to pray that God does something great. Or you could think of a million other examples. Right? There are a lot of things you could pray for. In fact, I feel confident I could spend the rest of the waking hours of this day thinking of things we could pray for. But the point is simply this. Get together and pray for something. Right? Pray together. When I think of the urgency of the mission, And when I think of the strength of our foe, and when I think of the greatness of our high priest, I'm ashamed that we don't pray together more often. I'm ashamed that I don't pray with people more often. Listen, this is something we should be committed to because it's a great privilege. And this is where strength comes from. It is the lifeline of the church. Prayer is, as John Piper would say, it's the wartime walkie-talkie. We are in this battle against Satan. We're in a battle against the world. We're in a battle against sin. And we have a walkie-talkie in that war. And that walkie-talkie is that we can communicate with God through prayer. So let's pray together. But also, let's pray privately. In fact, Matthew 6. Look at one more passage here. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. In Matthew 6. As Jesus is talking, clearly there's an expectation that we would pray on our own. Matthew 6, verse 5 says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who's in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Listen, there is no doubt that we should pray together. There's no doubt that the early church prayed together. But let's not just be a church who prays when we come together. Let's not just be a church who prays when we're with one another or when the lights are on. Let's be a group of people who are committed to private prayer also. That we go into the closet or whatever your equivalent is, that we shut the door and that we pray. And the reason why we do this is because of the theology of Hebrews 4. We have a great high priest who's interceding for us. We have a great high priest who's sympathetic and he longs for us to run to him in times of trouble. Listen, don't just pray because you should or because you feel like you ought to. Pray because you have a great high priest. And listen, maybe you're saying, well, you know, I've tried to pray before. It's just really hard. Well, if that's you, I just want to say welcome to humanity because we're all there. It, well, maybe there's some who never struggle in prayer, but I would guess most of us struggle we talked about this in men's discipleship at the beginning of the year, that it's so easy for our minds to wander in prayer. If you're like me, you start praying, and immediately you start thinking, what's for dinner? And then you start thinking to yourself, what's the project I need to do later? And why are my kids making that noise? And what is that smell? Like, you start wondering all of these things, or, or what am I going to watch? What movie am I going to watch? Center? What games on TV? All these things distract us. But listen, the reality is this. You are a fallen person living in a fallen world. Of course it's hard to pray. Right? If this is the lifeline of the church, listen, if, if, um, if Satan is going to do everything he can to oppose us, then he, it would make sense that prayer would be difficult. Of course prayer is difficult. If you're saying, well, yeah, but prayer is really hard. Yes, exactly. But let's commit ourselves that we will keep praying. Let's say that we will believe Hebrews 4 is true. And even if our hearts don't feel like it, we will still act like Hebrews 4 is true. Because we know prayer is important. Listen, it's true. We are weak, but he's strong. Yes, we know that we're needy. That's why we run to him for our needs. Listen, we have a great high priest. And understand this. If Jesus, when he walked on earth, would get away to pray, and he would frequently, how much more do we need to do that? How much more do we need to pray? Listen, are there, is there any person in here who struggles in their walk with Christ at all? If there is, you don't have to raise your hand, but if there is, which uh, if I did ask for raising hands, I would hope everyone would say yes at some point, right? If any of you struggle at all in your walk with Christ, know this, you can run to the throne of grace where there's mercy to be found. Are there any people in here who struggle with sin? Again, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know the answer. Everyone could. If you struggle with sin... Run to the throne of grace where there's mercy to be found. Are there any of you in here who feel overwhelmed in parenting? Who feel overwhelmed in marriage? Who feel overwhelmed in areas related to singleness? Run to Christ. Run to the throne of grace. Are there any of you in here today who feel anxious about anything? Don't be anxious. Run to the throne of grace where there's mercy to be found. Are there any in here who long to know Christ more? I hope there's a lot who do. And I hope that you run to the throne of grace and you ask for his help. You can turn to him in prayer because he is a great high priest and he's interceding for us. Yes, prayer will be difficult. Oh, you better believe it will be. You have an enemy who is fighting against you. And you have your own sinful flesh to battle against. And the desires of the world will be calling you away. But this is the weapon we have. Prayer will be difficult. That's why it's going to require discipline. Right? You might need to just pick a place and a time where you say, Every day I'm going to play I'm going to pray here at this time. Maybe there's a certain place in your house, maybe there's a certain time you need to say, you know what? I'm just going to set this aside. Even though I know it's hard, I'm going to do it anyway. Prayer is difficult. That's why it's going to require a plan. If, if you go into prayer with the idea, oh, I'll just think of things to pray, you usually end up thinking about dinner or whatever else it is. Maybe I just like food too much. Maybe that's my issue, right? But you're thinking about something else, right? So come up with a plan, right? Maybe you decide that you're going to pray using the Acts model. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You start by just... Uh, praising God for something, uh, adoring Him. There's some attribute of God that you want to focus on for that day, His kindness or His mercy or His justice or whatever it is. And then from there, you confess your sin, something that you are struggle with, and then you start to give thanks. You give thanks for all the things that He's done, and then finally, you, you turn to supplication, your requests. So maybe you use that model. Or maybe you go through the Lord's Prayer, and you think about God's kingdom, and you think about God's forgiveness, you think about God's provision, you think about all these things that are in the Lord's Prayer, and you use that as a model. Or maybe you're a person who likes a list, and so you just make a list of things you're going to pray for that day. Or maybe you have a different list every day. Or maybe you decide that you're a person who likes to pray through Scripture, and so you pick out a psalm, and you just use that as a springboard to your prayer. The point is that prayer is difficult, so you're probably going to need a plan. Come up with a plan. And prayer is difficult, so you're probably going to need perseverance, too. Listen, the reality is that when you go to pray, let's say that you're super convicted by this message, which... Uh, I know I am, and I hope, I hope you will be too. Okay? So, and, and you go to pray tomorrow, and you're like, okay, I'm going to dive in, and this is going to be great, and I'm going to be changed. And then you pray, and 30 seconds later, you're thinking about something else again. Right? That's why it's going to require perseverance. Listen, it's going to be hard. And if, if you're in the club of people who have a mind who wanders, just know that that is not an exclusive club. In fact, it's probably filled with almost every person in this room. So it's going to be hard. It's going to require perseverance. That's true. But don't give up. And there may be times where you feel like, oh, God's not answering my prayers. Don't give up. Don't give up. He is the high priest, and he's sympathetic, right? And he wants you to run to him. And trust yourself to this high priest. Fight to believe that Hebrews 4 is true. Fight in your own mind and remind yourself, no, it's true. Even though I feel like my prayers aren't being answered, even though I know prayer is difficult, fight to convince yourself it's true that he is a high priest, that he intercedes, that he is sympathetic, and he wants to help you in your time of need. Listen, there will be times where you won't feel like that is true. And there will be times where you'll be discouraged. you like, I don't believe that. But fight to believe it's true. Have other brothers and sisters in Christ remind you, no, this is true. I'm just telling you, Hebrews 4 is true. Listen, we live in a dry and weary land. Oh, it's hard here. We live in a world that's opposed to Christianity. We have a very powerful foe. But in prayer, we have the ability to approach the throne of grace with confidence, fully expecting that he will hear and he's sympathetic. The question is, will we deploy that weapon? Will we use this great weapon we have at our disposal? The battle is fierce, but the weapon we have is greater. To quote Spurgeon one more time, he said this, We shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general until the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. If this is true, I think it probably is, then let us commit to praying together. Let us commit to praying privately. And most importantly, let us commit ourselves to a great high priest who lives to intercede for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. And we pray that we would be a group of people who values prayer, not because we feel guilty, not because we think we should, but because we know that we have the greatest privilege there is to approach you in prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.